All right, welcome back. So today I want to continue this long series, which is going to go on <laughs> indefinitely, probably through the end of this year, and probably to the middle of next year, meaning 2020, uh, on the Tao Te Ching. Primarily <clears throat> reading from uh, a website called wengu.tartary.com. Today we're beginning, we're going to look into chapter 5. Tao Te Ching, translated by Arthur Whaley and D.C. Lau. These are not deeply spiritual fellows, but they are highly scholarly academics, translators of Chinese to English, many works, and they have a deep understanding of Chinese history. But <clears throat> you'll see the translations are quite different in some cases, and really far from the original in all cases, <laughs> meaning... At the top of the page on this wengu.tartary.com, you can uh, s uh, slide your mouse on top of the various Chinese characters, and you'll see simple translations to English and see how far um, the English translation of Weiling and Lao, let alone others who don't read Chinese, uh, how far those translations have gone from the brevity, the concision, how concise, concision, and brevity, and terseness of the original. So we'll get into that soon. But uh, what I want to do is bring our old friend Heraclitus back. And um, I looked over, I, I had sort of a little epiphany uh, understanding, as I said before in one of the earlier talks, the linkage between Heracletian, Heraclitus teaching of the harmony of opposites or the identity of polarity, the unity of the many, uh, uh, the similarities or really the resonance between Heraclitus's teaching and Tao Te Ching, Taoist. And then I realized, I saw many <laughs> Google links and realized, hey, hey, I'm not the first one, am I? Not at all. And um, I want to bring to your attention some very interesting writings on the link between Heraclitus and Lao Tzu, Tao Te Ching. First example from uh, Fritz, Fritz Joff Capra. Fritz Joff Capra. A very famous book called The Tao of Physics. Fritz Joff Capra. Um, in a chapter called The Way of Eastern Mysticism. I just sent that link. This was written in 1970s. Uh, and just give you a sense of where he's coming from, and you can see uh, that uh, Heraclitus and Lao Tzu talking about um, the many and the polarity and, and essential ontological polarity, meaning the essential polarity of being itself, being, including light or intelligent energy, as we said, as I said, the vibratory nature of intelligent energy or light, which is the basis of seven dimensional frequencies, seven rays, seven chakras, seven dimensions, the basis being light. And Sixth Density Ra talking about we know ourselves as light. Um, this is a unified self-consciousness. So understanding light as the being, the the uh, substance, even though it's relative, the apparent 
relative truth substantiality uh, of matter and energy being light, its basis, uh, as an understanding of the unity that substands uh, or is the source of or is the true nature of the many. So down the page, you could find somewhere, if you go down a bit on this page from Capra, he wrote, it is amazing that at the same time when Lao Tzu and his followers developed their worldview, the essential features of this Taoist view were taught also in Greece, actually Ephesus, which is I think a part of Turkey, or I'm not sure where Heraclitus was teaching, he moved around a bit, taught in Greece by a man whose teachings are known to us only in fragments, and who was and still is very often misunderstood. He was called the um, Obscure, and the, the name, as I said, is Hoskotenus, like Scott, Hoskotenus. So one of the root meanings of the word Scott, or etymologically, is obscure, <laughs> obscure. And so, yes, I'm kind of obscure as well. He goes on, the Greek, quote, Taoist was Heraclitus of Ephesus. He shared with Lao Tzu not only the emphasis on continuous change, which, you know, is the Buddhist principle of Anicca, impermanence, everything's in flux, which he expressed in his famous saying, everything flows, <clears throat> the Greek is pantare, but also the notion that all changes are cyclic. So we've got uh, continuous change that is cyclic, continual, continuous, unending, cyclical change. He compared, going on, he compared the world order to, quote, an ever-living fire, kindling in measures and going out in measures, an image which is indeed very similar to the Chinese idea of the Tao manifesting itself in the cyclic interplay of yin and yang. That is, that yin and yang is a Chinese way of describing the polarity that, uh, the polarity, the polarized nature of light <clears throat> as the basis for its vibratory nature, which is the, the, the basis of seven rays, the seven colors, seven dimensions, seven chakras. The seven rays are seven frequencies of light that's vibrating. There's seven modes or seven ranges of vibration of light. That light is um, is the is the ever kindling, ever living fire he's talking about. And so he goes on. It is easy to see how the concept of change as a dynamic interplay of opposites led Heraclitus, like Lao Tzu, to the discovery that all opposites are polar and thus united. So the unity of polarity, the law of one. The way up and the way down is one and the same, which is one translation. Other, others is uh, the way up, down is one. You see, the original Greek, like the original Chinese, is a whole lot tighter than all, nearly all English translations. So what may be well translated more or less as the fragment of Heraclitus as the way up and down is one and the same. Who knows where Capra got this from? But <clears throat> that's not a bad translation. The original is probably, I mean, we went to this before in the long series on Heraclitus. The original is probably something like the up-down way is one. And they, they don't think you can understand it. Or they don't have time to explain it. Or they don't understand it. Many translators don't really understand what they're translating. <laughs> I had this all the time in Japan. I had this with every single 
translator of all my books that are translated into Japanese and Chinese. My books, my first two books. Nobody understood what I was talking about deeply. No translator asked me. Meanwhile, they translate. There you go. So, lost in translation. The way up and down is one and the same, <clears throat> or the up-down way is one, said the Greek. And, quote, God is day-night. This is more accurate. God is day-night, winter-summer, war-peace, satiety hunger. So, the logos is God. That's actually what Heraclitus used as the word God. And so, so much is lost in translation. <laughs> they don't know. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they think you can't get it. Maybe they don't get it. It's very. It's uh, just another more human folly. Meanwhile, they did a great work to give us um, to get us this far. So the logos is day night, winter summer, war peace, satiety hunger. He goes on like the Taoists. He saw any pair of opposites as a unity and was well aware of the relativity of all such concepts. Just like Ra, teach, Ra was teaching, saying um, the healing of mind-body, you must first internalize the polarity of your dimension. Ooh, internalize the polarity of your dimension, where you find impatience in yourself, or when you're experiencing your impatience, find the corresponding patience. Now, that's, uh, you, you know, that's a little bit awkward, and so... Now I feel frustration. Where should I find the corresponding ease? How? Well, I can think it. Oh, I could be in ease. That's true. Uh, another way is basically to first accept um, the distorted emotion and thought process, the, the distorted flow of thought emotion. Yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm impatient. Uh, I know it's associated with these outer conditions. But it's also my unique response to those outer conditions, meaning it's not the condition that made me frustrated and impatient. I made me frustrated and impatient in my response to this condition, these conditions. All right. And I don't have to be this way. Hmm. I made it. I can unmake it. I cannot make it, but I feel it. Now what? Well, either you do something or you don't do something physically. But the, the real work is internal, and that's the balancing. And by that acceptance and understanding and realizing that it doesn't have to be uh, and being kindly for ourselves and feeling the pain underneath it, one is finding the corresponding uh, polarity internally or internalizing the polarity by finding the opposite within oneself, discovering the complement. That... that is what's happening when one brings love, wisdom, acceptance, and understanding to the distorted mental-emotional process. He goes on, Like the Taoists, he, Heraclitus, saw any pair of opposites as a unity. He was well aware of the relativity of all such concepts, meaning <laughs> what you think is not what is. What you think is how you fashion interpretation of what is. It's relative. It has some accuracy, but it's it's... Absolutely, it's intrinsically or in, inevitably, excuse me, inevitably incomplete and partial and um, not holistic. And that's the Buddhist notion of the two truths, two levels, absolute, relative. Relative truth or concept cannot truly grasp or know, cannot fully know the whole of what we're uh, seeking to understand. And so uh, reality 
as absolute truth cannot be fully known by relative concepts and interpretation. All right. So he's aware of the relativity of all of concepts. All such concept, all concept. And in Buddhism, that's called uh, samskara, sankara, meaning fashionings, condition, uh, uh, volitional compounds, fabrications, uh, basically uh, fermentations, uh, translated by Tanasaro Bhikkhu. So the fourth skanda, or constituent of, of, the se- of the elements of the sense of self, is sankara, Pali, samskara, Sanskrit, which is, again, fashioning, composite, volitional compounds, fabrications, fermentations, basically mental, emotional thought and feeling. And, and that, that's illusory too. It's empty, it's anatta, it's selfless, insubstantial, and it's anicca, it's impermanent. And so it's relatively true and essentially empty. That's the Buddhist understanding. Fits and, and guess who was walking at the same time around this time, 500 BC or so in India, is Gautama. So Gautama's in India, Heraclitus is in Greece or Ephesus, and Lao Tzu's in China. And look, lo and behold, they're all talking about um, freedom from bondage to relative, um, relative conception and um, seeking, um, s- seeking the truth that goes beyond words. And so, again, he goes on, again, the words of Heraclitus, cold things warm themselves, warm cools, moist dries, parched is made wet. Remind us strongly of those of Lao Tzu, and this is a translation, whoever made this translation, of Lao Tzu's comparable teaching, quote, easy gives rise to difficult. Resonance harmonizes sound, allow, uh, after follows before. (laughs) After follows before. So before and after, uh, up and down are uh, of one uh, field. He goes on, it's surprising that the great similarity between the worldviews of these two sages of the 6th century BC is not generally known. It's not surprising to me. <laughs> I think humans are pretty dumb. And uh, human leadership, you know, even, I mean, look at the Bible and, and look at documents. Even in Buddhism, uh, the moment that Gautama died, um, some scheming, a couple, not many, but a couple of scheming monks in the community um, generated schism in the Sangha. <laughs> Same thing with the uh, endless revisions of the Bible and the, you know, Constantine and the councils of uh, Nicaea and all the different councils that, you know, they don't really care. I don't, do they care about truth or do they care about power? Um, uh, lots of humans seem to care more about I mean the ordinary folks care about comfort and the leaders care about power and control uh, and neither seems to care that much about truth or only limited degree so it's not too surprising to me that the uh, world views of the two sages and the third is Gautama of the 6th century BC it's not surprising it's not known (laughs) don't 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 ever uh, underestimate the ignorance of, of this wayward race of humans on this planet. Heraclitus is often mentioned in connection with modern physics, hardly ever in connection with Taoism, but he ought to be. And yet it's this connection which shows best that his worldview was that of a mystic. Right. And thus, in my opinion, Kepros, 
puts the parallels between his ideas and those of modern physics in the right perspective. And then he goes on a little bit, and I'll move through. When we talk about the Taoist concept of change, it's important to realize that this change is not seen as occurring as a consequence of some force, but rather as a tendency innate in all things and situations. And that's where we get to Logos. The movements of the Tao are not forced upon the Tao, but occur naturally and spontaneously. And so the polarized nature of light, which is why we call it love, light, light, love, is what gives rise to action and, and duality in the 10,000 things. Um, it's not forced by you know, the infinite creator upon light. It's, it's of the nature of light itself, of the nature of that which uh, substands the 10,000 things being light, uh, that it is polarized, love light, light love, intelligent energy, and it's in its own nature to manifest uh, duality, polarity, and continual change. Spontaneity, he goes on, spontaneity is the Tao's principle of action, and since human conduct should be modeled on the operation of the Tao, and that's the, the talking about the sage, right? So the sage follows the Tao, and the ruler, so-called, that, that Lao Tzu addresses sometimes, also follows the Tao, or the way of the sage as a ruler. And that means uh, appreciating the reality of continual change, appreciating the identity of opposites, and working with cycles and not forcing, and flowing uh, with, with the natural course. However, that, that you know, needs to be unpacked and, and dissected to mm, talk about how it relates to how it gives us guidance for human behavior. It doesn't mean let everything be, and if somebody wants to, to trample on you, uh, just smile and uh, imagine yourself as a Taoist. So it's not like that. It's, comp it's a little bit more subtle. Uh, anyway, he goes on, um, acting in harmony with nature, thus means for the Taoist acting spontaneously and according to one's true nature. It means trusting one's intuitive intelligence, which is innate in the human mind, just as the laws of change are innate in all things around us. And so in harmony with um, the way of life in and of itself. If you remember uh, going on, Ra presenting, Ra mentioned Heraclitus directly. Just sent the link. 25.4, session 25, Don asked about um, the confederation after Orion left Earth 3,000 years ago, meaning 1,000 BC, uh, 500 years before Heraclitus and Gautama and Lao Tzu or so. Uh, confederation leaving, what happened after that, Don asked, middle paragraph, second half, Ross said... Um, uh, 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 beginning approximately 2600 of your years in the past, meaning <laughs> about 600 BC, reading right around the time of Gautama and Buddha and Lao Tzu, uh, in what you would call Greece at this time, and resulting in writings and understandings of some facets of the Law of One. 
We especially note the one known as Thales and the one known as Heraclitus, those being of the philosopher career teaching their students. And so, yes, even Ra recognizes that Heraclitus was teaching of the law of one by way of an understanding of um, the identity of opposites and the in an integration of polarity or the cyclic nature of continual change. It's cyclical continual change of polarities whose true nature is one. Now I send you another page, a um, page called Dynamic Tao, and uh, this fellow also understands uh, Tao unity or uh, oneness in early Greek philosophy. And so he writes, the early Greek philosophers were contemporaries of Lao Tzu, principle of oneness, hey, hey, the law of one, scattered in many fragments of early Greek philosophy. Uh, and he talks about Parmenides and Heraclitus and Plato a little bit. And I just read a little briefly where Parmenides, um, Parmenides born around 515 BC in his book On Nature. And remember there was a book, I think, from Heraclitus called On Physics, on, Physics, on, on Nature. Maybe it's the same book, maybe he made a mistake here. Argued that most that reality must be based on something that is there. The what is there, or actual modes that can be thought of. What is there, <laughs> that's the phrase. That is there, what is there. In Buddhism it's called suchness. Tathata, suchness. The Buddha is called the Tathagata. Tathagata means the thus come one, the, the one, meaning the being, who just came. Nityananda referred to himself always as this one here, not me, this one here. Uh, each one of us is the one. But the conscious mind is a, you know, my dehumidifier calling out. <clears throat> each one of us is the one, but the one that each is, is a whole lot more than our conscious mind and our embodied experience. Our conscious mind experience of embodiment and personality, body-mind, is a <clears throat> is a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of all we are, because all is one. Each one is the one. And this notion of that is there, or what is substanding, the unity that is the true nature of uh, multiplicity and polarity, the identity of polarity is the unity of all, uh, is associated with Parmenides' notion of what is there. And he said, this guy wrote this page, what is there is a reality with oneness, meaning <laughs> what is there is the reality of oneness. See, it's very hard for people to cut bullshit because there's uh, the mind is foggy. So uh, Heraclitus said, uh, dry, the soul grows good. And a dry mind is a is the best mind um something like um a good soul is a, a dry beam of light <laughs> eh, that's the real vishuddhi that's real blu-ray what is there is reality which is oneness and 
<clears throat> he said, Parmenides holds that conventional objects are often perceived by mortals to exist, but they have no real existence. And that's the notion of maya, illusion. Um, you know, that, that we don't see what is. Um, avidya, basic ignorance, meaning a condition of not seeing um, the unity of the many, and not seeing the true nature of all that exists, that's ignorance. That leads to an experience of um, maya or, or illusion. Ra talks about the illusion of limits, the, the form-bound nature the, of objects. Very, nay, the very experiential mode of subjectivity, subject-object, sub, subjectivism, me and you, this and that, here and there relativity um, the the experience of duality comes out of a perception uh, a subjectivist perception meaning I'm here and you're there not I'm everywhere and many people have had not many but some people have had paranormal experience where they could see behind their head they could see 360 degrees of course and so that's just a higher level of perception that I is all and I can see all when thine eye is single or when the doors of perception are cleansed. And so Parmenides also, he writes, he recognizes reality at two levels as his doctrine of two truths. Oh my God. Sounds like the Mahayana notion of the two truths. Oh, oh, the two views. Same, same. And uh, he wrote, the heart of well-rounded truth and two, the opinions of mortals. So there is... Uh, the truth of what is, and then there's the truth of concept, which is relative and limited. Down the page, he talks on Heraclitus. Heraclitus, 535 to 475 BCE, before Common Era, Yen, about the same time as Lao Tzu and um, Gautama, is the first Western philosopher to state that human nature is subject to the same law of nature as the cosmos, that is a critical point. <clears throat> Human nature subject to the same law of nature as the cosmos. That's, that will explain what uh, the, the apparent brutality or ruthlessness or roughness of some portions of Tao Te Ching, which I talked about last week as a, a kind of Taoist fascism or authoritarianism in Taoism. Authoritarian Taoism used by Chinese rulers, legalists in the future. A little bit communist, like last time we talked about. He uh, empties their minds and fills their, their bellies, uh, weakens their intelligence and strengthens their sinews. This kind of thing, uh, which I don't <laughs> uh, condone or agree with. But it is true. And that's th this, this notion is the truth under such teaching, which is then abused by legalists and greedy humans. There are greedy humans everywhere, you know. Most people we meet are not, but but the leadership of all, nearly all nations from uh, for the last 15 years have been that way. But the truth here, or the statement here that I think is the truth, is that human nature is subject to the same law of nature as the cosmos. Cosmos is also of the Logos. He proclaims the Logos. Hey, hey, the universal principle through which all things are interrelated, all natural events occur. The interrelation the uh, the interrelation of the many is of the logos it's karma <laughs> it's the law of karma which is um, the primary law 
of interaction. But karma itself is actually, um, this is, now we go too far here, but uh, karma exists for beings trapped in duality. Beings beyond um, the beyond the illusion of limits, beyond subjectivist experience, subjectivist perception, meaning subjectivist uh, dual perception, dual dualistic perception, which is subjectivist, which is subjective, subjectivism, meaning I'm a subject and you're an object. I'm the agent and you something out there, here, there, inner, outer. That um, experience comes from perception. That perception comes from avidya. Uh, only those who are nearing the end of thraldom or bondage to that avidya and subjectivist dualistic perception and experience and conception, meaning I think there's a me and a you, right? Because I perceive it. I experience it because I perceive it. And I'm talking about it. <laughs> So my concepts come out of my experience, which come out of my perception, which actually for all of us comes out of avidya, believing in the illusion of limits. It's only the one who's free of the illusion of limits, begins in sixth density and moves out from there, six, seven, eight, and that's the end of it. That one is approaching what we could call to be freedom from karma. Karma operates by avidya. When avidya as as a vidya goes away, karmic formation goes away too. Uh, the generation of karma dec decreases, um, becoming one with karma, um, being free of karma. Same is being free of dualistic uh, perception, experience, conception, belief, bondage, and the way out is actually includes a realization that human nature is subject to the same laws of nature as the cosmos. Human nature and cosmic nature is, is, is of one field. The cosmos is a system, a unified system in which we are. We exist in the field of cosmic reality, the un unified system of uh, 10,000 things. And to the extent that we accord with Logos, we accord with the laws of nature. We accord with the way of, of complete transformation. And ultimately, we'll be free of karma because we're free of thraldom or bondage to a polarized experience, um, the end of uh, subjectivist consciousness, the end of the fashioning of samskara, mental, emotional experience. The crystallized healer has no will, Ra said. So the Logos, the universal principle through which all things are interrelated, or one, and all natural events occur. The Logos is the underlying order that connects the opposites to preserve oneness. Or, the Logos is infinite, is infinity as source and, and substrate, essential true nature of all 10,000 things and polarity, which is its oneness. The world exists as a coherent system of oneness. Yeah, the cosmos is one. God is one. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echod, said those who really know and follow morality, when they did. 
The world exists as a coherent system of oneness, in which a change in one direction is always coupled with a corresponding change in another. That's why the way of healing requires internalizing the polarity of your dimension, said Ra. That's why the way of love-wisdom unifies the distorted polarity or unifies the polarity of mental-emotional distortion. Mental-emotional distortion, lower triad blockage, is uh, attachment to polarity, uh, karma-generating, the way to resolve or heal those distorted uh, mental-emotional processes which are called which come out as emotional charge or when we get triggered and wrong view too uh, is to find the one at its the, the one the unity of its of its nature and the way to get to two to get to that unity is uh, to put the two together <laughs> that's what Ra means internalizing the polarity of your dimension and so it's, it's not exactly the Logos preserves oneness. The Logos is the infinite nature, infinite source, the, the infinity source of the many, and, its essent, and, and the nature of its essential unity. Its essential un- nature, being unity, is the Logos. He goes on, The world exists as a coherent system of oneness, or <laughs> cosmos is a unified system in which a change in one direction always coupled with corresponding change in another, and eventually one goes beyond change. Only when one leaves sixth density, one goes beyond change, one goes beyond karma, one goes beyond polarity. Really, more than sixth density. And that's why uh, Ra Ra and the Confederation made mistakes, because they're still, they're not yet finished with polarity, actually. Ra said the paradoxes are resolved, and, um, you know, all, all polarity has been unified or something. Well, if that's really the case, they wouldn't have screwed up or they wouldn't have had unexpected consequences to their interventions on Earth. Period. When you're really finished with polarity, you are omniscient. And then you don't make mistakes. Like the angel told Howard Storm, we don't make mistakes. That's right. The angels, the angelics, the devic group, which are totally, you know, completely at one with the Logos, even though they don't have the power of the Logos, all they do is of the omniscience of the, of the Logos. I mean, and that's why the notion of fallen angels, um, I think, is a little confused. But the angelic, I'd say, that talked to Howard Storm, said, we don't make mistakes. But the Confederation seemed to make mistakes, you know. And that's because they overestimate their, their awareness and their capacities in sixth density. If they think it's fine, it's fine. The Council of Saturn let it go, gave it green light, but actually they're not really omniscient, no. And so they act and generate unexpected consequences. Gautama does not act and make... Un- uh, Gautama and Nityananda, they don't generate unintended consequences. Neither, neither, does, neither does the Logos, neither does the Council of Saturn. Going on, at, a, at the conventional level, all things are in a state of continuous flux, right? That's the relative level of perception. We perceive, which is a relative, limited experience of perception, we perceive continual change. That's called anicca. <laughs> that is impermanence, or 
const on uh, you know constant flux pantare yes from relative limited perception subjectivist dualistic awareness we perceive and experience all things meaning the many we don't perceive the one we're perceiving the one as all things many things in a cha- in a state of continuous flux that too is illusory because it's limited perception and he says stability is an illusion it's it's um permanence uh, appar- uh, the, the there is no permanence in um that which is pantare that which is um continually flowing however <laughs> um reality is is more than uh our limited perception we in our limited perception we perceive many meaning all things that are continuously changing and so even the the teaching of the three marks is a relative is is medicine it's like a raft that's thrown out at the other side of the of the the crossing the great ocean cross the great ocean of samsara which really means get out of six density <laughs> you're fine when you get out of six density you you don't have to worry about uh, the octave and reincarnation really you're fine when you hit sotapanna <clears throat> hit sotapanna and you're fine you won't go to the lower realms get to get out of six density and, and unless you wander back which doesn't normally happen from seven nor eight i mean when they Nichinanda, right? Probably came in from eighth density. Uh, actually, uh, he ain't, there's there's no no risk of him going to lower realms. Likewise, um, beings who get out of sixth density really um, have finished are pretty much nearly finished with Avidya, and uh, it's nearly they're they're somewhere between the third and the fourth levels of awakening in Buddhism, getting out of sixth density. They're they're somewhere between non-returner and arahan. Uh, they don't have risk of getting karmically entangled as six density wanderers do. So six density uh, is a little dangerous if you wander as well. Uh, and so it's it uh, from our perspective um, with our illusory with our mind based in trusting the illusion of limits the concept of light we see and therefore uh, talk about many all things the manyness and what we can see at a deeper level like the three marks teaching of gautama is continuous flux pantare anicca continuous um, change and there really is no permanence However, <laughs> there is reality beyond that deeper understanding of um, our limited perceptions. And that's where we go beyond um, the, the notion that there's no permanence. There, there's permanence when there, there's a, a, something that could be akin to permanence when one gets out of sixth density. It's not it's not formal it's not uh, it's the permanence of intelligent energy it's it's a permanence uh, pre pre polarity anyway only change and the law of change or logos are real well the law of change is karma actually the 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 i mean because it's causality the the reason that there are cycles 
is because there's polarity that interplays. The interplay of polarity is what generates change. The interplay of um, polarized aspects of, um, of systems. The polarized elements of systems generate continual change. That is karma, uh, because the consequences of their interplay is karmic consequentiality. It's causality. The, the cause of, of, of continual change is the interplay of those opposites. So what's polarized in any system uh, interacts. And the consequences or products of that interaction is called karmic consequence or result, cause, effect. And so the law of change, I don't know if there's a law of change, but there's the vibrating nature of light, which by its interplay generates result and consequence (laughs) and effect, cause and effect, cause and result, right? And that uh, is the working of karma. And um, one gets out of that when one gets out of sixth density. And so he goes on, only change and the law of change or logos are real. And this is the nature of a substanding, substantial, under, uh, girding reality. The logos is a representation of oneness as the laws of nature. Or the logos is the source of (laughs) the reality of oneness, which is... um, uh, which acts through laws of nature, which is called um, the, the interplay of polarities. At the conventional level, our own private understandings of the Logos may also be true. Um, relative truth. Heraclitus also has two ways to understand the law of the universe, the way of the Logos and the way of opinions. I think this is Wayne, yeah, this is Wayne Wang, Wayne Wang, who's more of a physicist, like Capra. Uh, so you're interesting. You have these these um, l- new science physicists who realize the um, resonance between Heraclitus and and Tao Te Ching. Very nice. So he's saying Heraclitus also has two ways, and this is his take on it. And I think it's true, though. Two ways to understand the law of the universe: the way of the logos and the way of opinions. He emphasizes, Heraclitus, that the unity of opposites in process, he emphasizes the unity of opposites in the process commonly known as becoming. And so you have to be involved in spiritual becoming, which is called spiritual self-transformation, to be free of becoming. And so Gautama talks about freedom from thirst and freedom from becoming. Uh, This notion um, of... um, according with the Logos and um, according with the way of the Logos called the Tao versus the way of private opinion uh, is mentioned on the Wikipedia page that I sent a link on section Logos and here are some fragments Um, whoever translated I'm not sure whatever but it's good enough from uh, DK1, DK2, it's actually, it, DK means Diels Khan, a true German scholar, Diels and Khan put it together. And this is DKB1, DKB2, DK22B1, DK22B2. Good stuff. Quote The idea that all things come to pass 
in accordance with this logos and the logos is common is expressed in these in two famous but obscure fragments hoskotenos obscure it's obscure <laughs> it's obscure to the mind that doesn't understand that that all perception is illusory and and uh, even consciousness is born of ignorance baby and so subjectivist awareness which is called dual limited perception dualistic limited perception uh, born of ignorance is transient and impermanent and insubstantial and sunya and anatta if you get some sense of that I can't say I understand it fully because I'm not fully awakened but I have some sense of it um, then it's a little bit less obscure all things come to pass in accord with the logos right uh, God runs the show here, whether you like it or not. And that's where we're going to see a little link into chapter 5. And the Logos is common to all. DK 22b1, quote, uh, from whoever translated, This Logos holds always, but humans always prove unable to understand it, <laughs> both before hearing it and when they first heard it. For though all things come to be in accordance with this Logos, Humans are like the inexperienced when they experience such words and deeds as I set out, distinguishing each in accordance with its nature and saying how it is. But other people fail to notice what they do when awake, just as they forget what they do while asleep. Right? Ra said uh, how to best help the sleeping to help them sleep more comfortably. DK-22b-2. For this reason, Heraclitus' fragment goes on, for this reason... It is necessary to follow what is common. But although the Logos is common, most people live as if they had their own private understanding. And so that's the way of the Logos versus the way of limited personal understanding. <clears throat> now, <laughs> I really have to go into uh, Chapter 5. We still have 15 minutes or so. Chapter 5, Wangu Tartari. I'll send the link again for anybody who's uh, not got it. <clears throat> this is, uh, first we do the translation of Arthur Whaley, then the translation of D.C. Lau. Uh, and you'll see um, by the Heracle Heracletian notion of the Logos in common to all, that human nature um, is a subset of cosmic nature. Um, one may get a sense as to why Lao Tzu is talking this way. Uh, because this universe is not made for the satisfaction of your conscious mind. This universe is not um, your own private um, situation. The, you, we exist in a system uh, which which has rules and laws, like the law of causality, <laughs> which is called karma, which is what you do is what you'll get. <laughs> what you make is what comes back at you. What you're experiencing is made by you, somehow, to some degree. You create your own reality. Yeah, right. And so, but that's that doesn't mean you can have everything you want any way you want to get it. You can't get everything you want by willy-nilly. Mr. Willy-nilly won't work for you. Willy-nilly doesn't work here. 
willy-nilly, meaning you can't just do whatever you want and hope to get what to hope to get something. You have to do that which that whose consequences one must one must think and speak and act in ways whose consequences bring you what you want. You can't have what you want unless you have the conditions, causes and conditions, that are uh, that will general will naturally generate what you want. You know, you can't go to sleep at three a.m. and hope to be healthy with a strong immune system all your life. Of course, me too. We just can't do it. No, we can't. You can't. Um, you can't eat rubbish and be healthy. Even a Buddha wouldn't do that. <clears throat> and Gautama is said to have said uh, at his last meal, which he knew was uh, spoiled pork, I think. The Chinese say it was mushroom, but they just don't want to hear the truth that he didn't, he wasn't a vegetarian. Oh my God. So at the, at the onset of the meal given by um, poor but devoted followers, uh, devotees, or making an offering of a home meal for Gautama, I mean, it's a big deal. <clears throat> if if you're alive at the time of the Gautama and you know who you know he is as he says he is, to have him come to your house and take your food, damn, <laughs> that's great. So rather than not go, Gautama with his, the you know the monks around him went, and he knew the meat was poison, or no, it wasn't poison. It was actually spoiled. It was it was just you know it had turned, so it was um, it had toxic compounds. It wasn't poisoned. It was just sort of uh, inedible <clears throat> and would lead to uh, death <laughs> and illness. He said before he ate it, only a Buddha could eat this meat. But he ate it anyway uh, to um, complete the circle of establishing the cause that for the householders that offered the food, purely offered for their well own long-term welfare and well-being, you know, for their long-term welfare and benefit. To to complete the circle of establishing the cause, Gautama ate it, and then got very sick, and then soon died, and knew it. But he was ready to go. He was, you know, it was time to go. But he said, only a Buddha could eat this meat, and recommended, and had it buried after he ate it. <laughs> I guess the other monks didn't eat it, only he ate it, and got sick, and soon died, which he knew before. And had it buried, uh, but you can't. You can't have You can't have what you want unless you set and establish the causes and conditions that naturally generate those results. And and that is not Mister Willy Nilly. That is um, intelligence <laughs> and being going out of the way of personal opinion to the way of the logos. What makes good? Doing good gets good. What makes good fortune? Merit. So, chapter 5, <clears throat> Weili, Tao Te Ching, Weili translation, quote, Heaven and earth are ruthless to them. The 10,000 things are, are but as straw dogs. The sage, too, is ruthless to him. The people are but as straw dogs. Yet, heaven and earth, and all that lies between is like a bellows, not Dr. Bellows, in that it is empty, but gives a supply that never fails. Work it, 
and more comes out. Whereas the force of words is soon spent, far better it is to keep what is in the heart, or to keep to what is in the heart. Heaven and earth are ruthless. To them the ten thousand things are but straw dogs. The sage also ruthless. To him also the people are but as straw dogs. If you read the words, <laughs> the characters, it's really tian de bu ren. Tian de bu ren means heaven, earth, not humane. You can also say not human. Heaven and earth is not human. You are not human. Your true nature is not human. And I'm talking way beyond wanderers' talk. Way beyond wanderers'. Um, essential true nature is not a human product. It's the cause of the human, not <laughs> not, not uh, made by the human. It makes the human. You don't make cosmos. Cosmos makes you. The laws are not made by you. And you either accord or you don't. And that's why I think here it said that. Heaven and earth and the sage that follows the way of the Tao and heaven and earth are not humane. Not humane doesn't mean unkind. It means indifferent to your personal opinion. It's not human. It's superhuman. It's universal. It's of the absolute. You accord with it and, uh, and prosper. Or you go against it and fall. You, you, you cannot follow willy-nilly personal opinion and get all that you want. Period. Neither healing, nor material acquisition, nor higher states of consciousness can be experienced or obtained by doing whatever there's the hell you want. You can do whatever the hell you want, absolutely. And it'll get you the consequences of whatever the hell you just did. But that that's not consequences <laughs> to your long-term welfare and benefit. It's willy-nilly. It's uh, do whatever you want, do what thou wilt is not the whole of the law. No, actually. The law is um, continual cyclic change of a unified polarity, of unified polarity systems, systems of unified polarity, unified systems of polarity in continual cyclic change. Unified systems of polarity in continual cyclic change which you either work with or you'll suffer thereby, <laughs> therefrom. And that's why heaven and earth are bu ren. Bu ren means not humane. Heaven and earth, or the logos, is not humane. It's, to call it ruthless is, is wrong. So you see, everybody, you know, another inadequate translation. Even D.C. Lao said, heaven and earth are ruthless and treat the myriad creatures as straw dogs. The sage is ruthless and treats the people as straw dogs. The word straw, the phrase straw dog, um, comes from ancient China, not Tarantino. And uh, it's Chu Guo, Chu Guo, a figure of dog made of straw. I'll send you the link. Used as ceremonial objects, ancient China, thrown away after their usage. And um, more goofy fellows translate, or more inadequate translators, uh, on the page Wikipedia on straw dogs said, Heaven and earth are heartless, treating creatures like straw dogs. Um, not heartless, not ruthless, but not human. 
not human. You are living in a universe that is not human. You better get that out. Get clear on that or consider it. There are laws here. There are rules here. There are ways here that are profoundly transcendent to human opinion. Um, consider it. Now we have somebody smart on the page, or somebody smarter, soldier, commentary on the verse explains. Now you get some people who are a little smarter, hopefully. Quote, heaven and earth are not partial. They do not kill living things out of cruelty, right? Not heartlessness, not ruthlessness. Or, nor do they give them birth out of kindness. Hmm. We do the same when we make straw dogs to use in sacrifices. We dress them up and put them on the altar, not because we love them, um, but because they're utilitarian, they serve a purpose. When the ceremony is over, we throw them into the street, but not because we hate them. <laughs> so beyond love and hate, beyond human opinionatedness, beyond preference, it is the way it is. And either we know or we don't know, or we seek to keep knowing or we don't. Most people don't know that they don't know, so they don't seek to know. Um, the wise, relatively wise folks know how little they know and seek to keep knowing, even though they know that all they're knowing is very partial and limited. But this point, heaven and earth are not partial, um, they're not sentimental. They're not human. <laughs> it doesn't mean the heartless or ruthless. So you see, it's very subtle. It, it's, you know, it's back to Heraclitus. There's the way of the Logos, which is not the way of human opinion. And you either accord with it, or you don't. Or you seek to accord with it, or you don't know what the hell we're talking about. Then, going on, yet heaven and earth and all that lies between is like a bellows in that is empty. Um, bellows is his translation. It's actually... In, in the middle of uh, the Chinese characters here, it's tuo, tuo yu. I, my pronunciation is terrible, so you can downvote me or not. Tuo, tuo yu, tuo yu, tuo, tuo yu, tuo yu, is a uh, tube for blowing fire through a flute. <laughs> a fluted sack or tube for blowing fire which is called, you know, a bellows. Not Dr. Bellows, although he was kind of a, a blowhard himself, but a nice guy on I Dream of Genie. Yet, heaven and earth and all that lies between is like a bellows in that it is empty, okay, but it's functional. It gives a supply that never fails. Meaning, the universe is not here for your um, delect delection, your, your um, delicious tasting. There are laws here. You want delicious taste? You can have it. You just have to establish the causes and conditions that lead to the appearance or manifestation of all the delicious tastes you'd like. But there are certain rules, like <laughs> the body is the body, you know? Yeah, you're 85. Yeah, you're going to die, okay? Get it. Oh, you think she's going to die? I don't know. She's only 92. Baby, she'll make it. She'll be okay. Yeah, well, she'll be, be okay, but she's going to, he, she will die. So that's just, you know, that's the way of the Logos. The way the Logos structured the body of 3D space-time. Or the yellow ray, space-time, physical body, goes by certain laws. You can't have a healthy body 
if you do certain things. That's all. And that's, you know, that's the way of the logos. And so, heaven and earth and all that lies between, or the space, D.C. Lau wrote the space between heaven and earth, like a bellows. <laughs> he put it as a question, is it? Mm -hmm. Meaning, it's a, a functional empty space that generates um, phenomena and also gives opportunity. And so, while the way of the Logos is not the way of the human opinion, and it ain't humane, and, you know, it's not sentimental. Uh, you, you, you walk off a cliff, I mean, I have this sense too. People talk about spiritual protection. Well, boys and girls, you walk off a cliff, um, you will die. You probably will not be whisked away by an angel. Um, because free will is operative, and um, that's, those are the laws of physics and gravity in this dimension. And um, that's just the way it goes. You know, if you're riding, driving your car uh, 90 miles an hour, and you say, fuck it, and you, you take a hard right or a hard left on the steering wheel, you will crash. Um, whether you're a nice guy or not. Whether you wish you hadn't later or not. And so, that's not human. That's not humane. That's just the way it is. And uh, yet, uh, within this non-human, um, inhumane, it really is non-human, transhuman, not technological transhuman, but uh, superhuman, trans transcendent to the human, superhuman system, of law and and causality, basically causal sequence, causal causal interplay. Um, there is a huge opportunity and support given to us to um, experience life, to to experience desire. It's empty, yeah, but it gives a supply that never fails. It's empty without being exhausted. It's the space from which all um, decision emerges. Right, so the ten thousand things emerge out of the void. The more it works, the more comes out. Um, the more you seek, the more you get. The more you give, the more you get. Um, the more you appreciate, the more joy you'll feel. And joy cannot just be dialed up, you know. Joy is what remains when um, all other distortions are removed or or released and don't arise. Work it, and more comes out," said Whaley. The more it works, the more comes out, said Lao. And then, whereas the force of words is soon spent, this, you see, even this chapter may be a composite of a few different writings. Whereas the force of words is soon spent, far better it is, is it, to keep, keep to what is in the heart, or keep, keep for yourself what is internal. D.C. Lao, much speech leads inevitably to silence, better to hold fast to the void. And so these guys did Tao, they did Samadhi, Lao Tzu, Tao, Chong Tzu, true Taoists understand Samadhi and deep meditation. The void of non-proliferation or the silence of mind at a steady state, as Ra said. Right? Everybody knows this. Right? The name of Zen, Japanese Zen school from Chinese Chan school came from Sanskrit called Dhyana, the word Dhyana, Tian, Tian. Uh-oh, somebody just unmuted. Okay, going on. Um, we're almost finished here. Um, 
the translations, I mean, what's the connection between the, the second half of this chapter and the first half of this chapter? Uh, it's hard to say. <laughs> but um, it's certainly, both of these translations of Weili and Lao, the last two lines, the force of words is soon spent. True. Um, activity arises and passes away. That is um, function. Uh, function is impermanent. Lao said, much speech leads inevitably to silence, right? That's again the polarity, day-night, silence, speech. So speech goes to silence, silence goes to speech. Day goes to night, night goes to day. Very Heracletian, yes. And so the up-down path. Um, knowing that um what arises passes away right this is <laughs> the root teaching of buddhism uh impermanence that's what impermanence is about it's uh, a cycle uh, it's cyclic activity where there's arising persisting and passing away brahma vishnu shiva the creator brahma the preserver vishnu the destroyer shiva right up middle down Arising, persisting, passing away. Birth, old age, sickness, and death, said Gautama. That's the cycle of birth and death. That's the cycle of a life, which exists in the series of reincarnations. That's an example of cyclic change. The polarity is, is uh, arising and passing away. The middle is persistence, or old age and sickness. <laughs> old age, birth, aging, sickness, and death. Birth, old age, sickness, and death. Um, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Same Trinity. And so, uh, polarity exists. Polarity is a, um, is a is resonant with Trinity. Not, not Carrie Ann Moss Trinity, but uh, the, the principle of the triadic tr Trinitarian principle. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, uh, Law of Free Will, Law of Love, Law of Light. All of these are, are, are the same three wordings of the principle of, of triadism or Trinitarianism. Is the way that polarity um, goes through its cycle also. It's the basis of polarity mean right there wasn't before there were the 10,000 things there was the three the by way uh, infinity the infinite one generates the 10,000 things or the octaves seven dimensions with countless subplanes by way of the three likewise the activity of the 10,000 things follows a trinitarian principle of arising persisting and passing away as well or could be said to be that way so speech goes to silence. Indeed, the force of words will always be spent. Um, and this is the heart of a Taoist approach, saying better to keep it in. Better to hold fast to the void. What, don't speak ever? Well, some people do that as a spiritual bypass avoidance trick to fool themselves or avoid some pain they're carrying. But actually, um, this really means truly appreciate the silence 
truly appreciate the inner. Appreciate listening as much as you appreciate speaking. Appreciate silence as much as you appreciate lovely music. I mean, you know, Arvo Part and Joni Mitchell. Great, 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 right? Misty in Roots. Great, great, great. Lots of great. St. Todd Rundgren. St. Joni Mitchell. Yeah, beautiful. Fantastic. Uh, look at Court and Spark. Look at the work in the early 70s. And how about silence? <laughs> Can you beat silence? Hmm. After they act, after they, they act, they return to silence. So it doesn't mean we have to take one and reject the other. But certainly... Um, it's good to appreciate source as much as we appreciate function activity and what uh, comes out of source. And so that's it for today. <laughs> There's more to be said, but not for today. And uh, next time we will go to chapter six. And uh, let me just take a look at that. Chapter 6 uh, is quite short, and so we might be able to, they're actually very nice, just uh, six lines, they're broken to lines, they were not, they were all run on in the original. Six lines of four or five characters each, and um, we can see how translation is done by going word to word, back and forth from the English to the original Chinese. So, my friends, thank you, Heraclitus. Thank you, Wayne Wong. Thank you, Fritjof Capra. Thank you to uh, all that contribute, participate. Uh, please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.